This is Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst magazine. I'm John Tolson and my guest tonight is Richard Gladman, founder of the Classic Horror Campaign. Classic Horror Campaign was set up by Richard Gladman to persuade the BBC to bring back their iconic Saturday night horror double bills that were so popular in the 1970s and 1980s. The campaign has support from industry figures like Caroline Munro and Emily Booth, an online petition, and they hold regular screenings at the Roxy Bar and Screen in London. I spoke to Richard, a.k.a. Cyber Schizoid, about the campaign, which has been nominated this year for a Rondo Award. Anyway, first of all, congratulations on your nomination for a Rondo Award for the website. Thank the, you. For the classic horror campaign. Uh, I voted for it. I urge everybody out there to vote for it as well because it's a, it's a great campaign. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about the classic horror campaign and how it got started. Um, oh, gosh. OK. Um, it started over two years ago now, so two or three years ago. Um, it was the usual thing of me kind of sitting at home and flicking through all the channels that we get. You know, we have cable TV, hundreds of channels. But I was kind of just, I know we all have DVDs and I know we can find things online, but I am quite old school. And I know that not everyone has access to all that stuff. You know, a lot of people still use free-to-air television. And I was just kind of flicking through and I couldn't find anything Mm. Any old horror, cult, sci-fi, movies, or even TV shows, there was nothing on air that was, say, older than maybe even a decade, you know? Mm. I'm not that keen on a lot of the horror stuff that's come out, certainly from Hollywood, in the last 20 years. I don't think much of it's been that good. It's been some brilliant stuff, but a lot of it's rubbish. Um, And and this kept kept happening. And And it just occurred to me, and I thought... Hang on a minute. Years ago, um, you could just turn on the TV. Even when I was a little kid and we had like three or four channels, you could turn on the TV in the evenings and you would always find something on one of the channels every single week. There'd be an old movie. You'd have the BBC Two horror double bills um, every summer on a Saturday night. Yeah, They start about 10 o'clock at night and you could sort of start with your family if you're a kid and watch the old black and white films and they'd have the, the naughty hammer films and things like that with the boobs and blood. <laughs> and you'd find some real cult classics. Um, but also ITV was set up differently then. And it wasn't all totally networked. It was perhaps a little bit more like the American way of doing things and it was a network but made up of lots of different stations and they'd all show their own local programming so if you were lucky enough to capture a couple of ITV stations in your area you could tune in in the week and find numerous late night horror films just lurking and or or Mm. TV shows things like Kolchak, The Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, Night Gallery they'd all turn up Mm. some yeah so I guess um, I just got a bee in my bonnet and thought, 
why on earth doesn't the BBC have these double bills anymore? You know, it's something that I got annoyed at when I was a kid when they stopped showing them. But it kind of never left me. Um, and also I was getting more and more into watching the old films myself. And I thought, well, there's a whole generation of kids out there that probably never seen a lot of these old classics. They seem to have disappeared. Yeah. For the, well, for the, for the, you know, maybe some of the younger listeners and Starburst readers out there, that these... Uh, BBC Horror Double Bills started in 1975, didn't they? And they went on till about 1983. Mm. And as you say, every uh, every summer they'd have a season uh, and they'd have uh, a, a double bill. Often they'd have a, an old movie combined with a with a, a kind of more recent movie. And that's something that you've kind of kept up, isn't it, with your, your classic horror sort of uh, the double bills that you show at the Roxy Cinema. Yeah, we, we do our own screenings. Um, I mean, once we started the, the campaign, or I started the campaign, just as a petition, an online petition, it wasn't really meant to... I don't even know if it was meant to go anywhere or achieve anything. It was just mm. me venting, I think. But a lot of people instantly, uh, mainly on Twitter, I think, actually. Twitter was probably more in its infancy in some ways a couple of years ago. And people really picked up on it and encouraged me to do more and set up a, a blog and then a website. And then someone else said, oh, you know, you should do film screenings. And and I said, yeah, you know, it'd be good if we could do a couple of, we could do them in, in this similar way. So you'd have an old film and then a new film. Yeah. Um, sorry, well, it's not new now. We'd have an old black and white followed by a 60s or 70s yeah. colour movie, something a bit more exciting, I guess. Mm. And um, we just started doing these at the Roxy, and they they took off instantly. Really, there was, yeah. they were a big success right from the start. Um, and we seem to have got quite a a nice cult following now. We have a lot of regulars, but we always have new people coming in. And the audience, I, I like the fact that age group is is from you know nice young sort of in their twenties or what have you, but right through to people pensioners and you know, old much older crowd it's brilliant it's a real cross section yeah. and we always make it fun we we have um, we're sponsored by by one of the british horror mags shock horror magazine sponsors us so they give us free issues of the magazine back issues to give out um we have lots of prizes we do a horror quiz and now that we've got da- dr karen alton on board she sort of helps us yeah. um present the films she's she's quite theatrical so we come up with lots of silly stunts to keep the audience entertained so it's not just coming to see a couple of films we make it quite a an interactive sort of fun experience as well in the shadows of the tall timber the creatures of the forest gather a growing horde of beak tooth and claw this is the day of the animals for survival in a world gone mad. The hunter becomes the hunted. The day of the animals is coming, and there's no place to hide. Rated PG starts everywhere Wednesday, May 25th, and Friday, May 27th. Check your local newspaper for theatre and time. Can you tell us a bit about the online petition? If anyone wants to go online and sign the petition um, to try and persuade the BBC Mm. to bring back the double bill, how do they do that? Um, the best way, easiest way to, to say it now, really, is just to say go to the Classic Horror Campaign website because the link's on there. Um, so it's www.classichorrorcampaign.com. Yeah. 
Um, and there are, there are links all over. As soon as you go on the site, it's usually on the right-hand side. Um, although, actually, I've just got my notes here, so I do have the full petition website as well, and it's uh, www.ipetitions.com uh, forward slash petition forward slash bring classic horror films back to the BBC. Bit of a mouthful. Um, but we've got nearly 3,000 signatures um, and I've always said that when we hit the 3,000 mark, it's going to be an, a kind of a push me towards um, sending this to the BBC and making a bit more of a, of a fuss about it, sending out some press releases, trying to get some people behind us to kind of big it up maybe a little bit more, if that makes sense. Yeah. So why do you think the BBC stopped showing these films in, sort of in, the, in the early 80s? Well, they were obviously very popular, weren't they? And you could, they were. They were yeah. really popular. I mean, they made the, the front cover of the Radio Times one year. Um, very iconic front cover of uh, Night of the Demon with um, Peter Cushing with the, in the, the Ghoul, the Tyburn film. So they actually did a cover painting with those two films together. Um, and they were a big considering the, the time of night they were on and it was kind of a cult thing, but they were a big thing. They had quite big ratings, apparently. Mm. Um, the Double Bills, yeah, they did finish about 1983. But as I started doing all of this and delving more into it, and, and we've got all these people who follow the campaign now, I've had a lot of younger people actually telling me and reminding me and saying, well, actually, it was, we watched them all on Friday nights. Mm. And they, uh, BBC did bring back the double bills and just single features as well, right through the uh, 90s. And they had a horror host called Dr. Terror, mm. which is stuff that I'd kind of forgotten and, and never really watched because I think I was travelling and, and doing other things in my life and not really watching a lot of TV at the time. But a lot of the younger, pe- the younger people that follow us say that they grew up watching them on Friday nights with Dr. Terror as the host, kind of having little chats in between the films, I think. Yeah. But then after that, I, d- I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, there was a backlash um, in the 90s at some point against horror after the BBC did that uh, Ghost Watch. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, that was a big Halloween thing, but it mm. caused so much controversy. Mm. Um, the people thinking it was real and saying it was scaring all their kids and it was on in prime time, that the BBC and a lot of the other networks shied away from horror um, on television for a long, long time. Yeah. So also there was the era of the video nasty, wasn't it, in the sort of early 80s? Yes. And then it kind of came back again, didn't it, in the early 90s? Um, yeah, kind of. And I think. Censorship in, in DVDs and so on started um, coming out as well, didn't they, in the sort of mid, mid 1990s? So that m- might yeah. have been one of the reasons why horror, why, um, you know, TV networks started to shy away from it. I think it scared them off. But then I also think, I mean, I, I get lots of kind of input from other people and, and they sort of tell me things and, and try and teach me things. Mm. A lot of people have suggested to me that the BBC kind of gave up because actually the rights to a lot of the films became more expensive with the advent of DVD and Blu-ray and, and people, companies bringing them out um, and seeing that there is actually a huge interest in classic horror, that it's maybe not quite so niche anymore. You know, it's not just films they could grab on the cheap 
and put into their kind of back catalogue and then just air now and again. Sure. I think it's actually more of a big deal for the BBC and other companies to to go out of their way to kind yeah. of search for the rights for these films, to get the rights to pay for them and then schedule these seasons. Mm. So, you know, I mean, there's always all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes, to be honest, that we'll probably never know. Yeah. But uh, the campaign continues. <laughs> and even if we never achieve the aim of bringing the double bills back, I think what we've done is we've raised awareness of classic horror. I mean, I've seen, since I started this, in the last few years, a lot of people have jumped on the classic horror bandwagon in a really good way. There's more magazines out there that cater to these films now. There seems to be a lot more interest in them. Um, the BBC themselves, the Mark Gatiss documentaries about history of horror films um, on BBC Four mm. and showed a mini-season as well of, of various films. So it is kind of happening and I also just want to sort of bring these films to the attention of a younger audience. So I think just by running these screenings, um, talking about these films, I think it's just making younger people aware that these movies are out there and that are worth watching. Oh, absolutely. And I think, as you say, it's all part and parcel of the, the big revival of these films, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look at all the uh, the Universal mm. stuff. I mean, they've made a huge deal about their Blu-ray releases. Yeah, and absolutely. The Hammer stuff, of course, as well. So it's a huge money-making thing. It I mean, everything's corporate now. Exactly. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to have an impact on, as you say, on the the ability to pay for these things mm-hmm. uh, that the BBC have. So it's kind of like pros and cons, really, isn't it? But let's, Definitely. Let's go back. Go back. Let's let's reminisce a little bit. Then, what what was your first double bill that you remember? What was the, the one that stuck in your mind the most from the earliest uh, days? Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. Really enough, because people always ask these sort of things, and they're always sharing their memories. Mm. My brain is terrible, and I there's so much that that slips from it. But um, I remember watching. Definitely the black and white films, the first movie that was shown in the double bill seasons, um, because I wasn't allowed to stay up. I was so little that I wasn't allowed to stay up to watch the later film. Um, And I remember watching... One of them, I think, was hardly even classed as a classic horror, but I think it was Sherlock Holmes meets Uh, Spider-Woman or something. Wow, right. Um, which was part of one of the double bills. And I remember that I was on holiday in Clacton in a caravan with my mum and dad and my sister. And um, we'd all gone away. And we all stayed up because we had a little black and white TV in the caravan. So we all stayed up and watched watched one of these films. I'm sure that was the one. Um, And it kind of... Any of those films sort of appealed to me. And also my parents were because they would buy me these big books like the Dennis Gifford horror movie collection and the Alan Frank books. And they had, you know, all the pictures from all the old films. So I got quite obsessed with these sort of things. Um, And just started, once I realised these movies were on every summer, I would start watching them with my sister. And as we sort of grew up, she kind of got older and she started going out, clubbing it and going to the pub or whatever teenage girls do. Um, and I would just stay up on my own and watch all the really the full-on films. I mean, they'd show some great stuff. It wasn't just about the old Hammer classics. Oh, yeah. They would show some real cult 
oddities, you know, like George Romero's The Crazies yeah. was on, um, Night of the Lepus, yeah. about killer rabbits. You know, it's a real weird stuff. So it was, a, it was a cult movie education, to be honest with you. Um, I think the first colour one I remember was, I think it might have been Brides of Dracula. Mm. It was either that one. I think I watched a bit of it and then was sent to bed. <laughs> and I, and the other one I remember that I saw all the way through was Kiss of the Vampire. Yeah. Which is, to me, it's still one of my favourite hammers. I think it's brilliant. So that's my memories. Incredible. It's just amazing the way these things overlap for people because my first memory is of being in a caravan with my parents <laughs> in Skegness. And, and I actually had a look on your website to see where, what the actual date was that this was, and it was the 28th of August, 1976. Oh, good grief. <laughs> and the film was The Hounds of Zaroff, a.k.a. The Most Dangerous Game. Okay. Watched on a small black and white television with the family. So it's an incredible sort of crossover. Um, but the one that really stayed with me was the crazies that you've just that you've just sort of mentioned, uh, which really marked me at <laughs> too, too young an age, really. Um, I don't, my parents perhaps shouldn't have made me, uh, uh, allowed me to stay up to watch it. But that was the 20, 22nd of July, 1978. Wow. And it was, a, according to your website, it was the, the second in the double bill and it showed after the Quatermass experiment. So, yeah, see, now that yeah. you're saying it, it, it <laughs> I'm actually remembering it myself. <laughs> But I was disappointed, disappointed by the crazies at the time, strangely enough, because um, I used to buy House of Hammer magazine, and I yeah. think I must have read about it in there. Yeah. Um, and because it wasn't, it actually wasn't as gory as I'd expected, and I thought it was going to be more of a sort of a zombie sure. kind of thing, and it, and it wasn't, you know. But I watched it again recently, like within the last year or so, um, and actually think it's better, like, now. Watching it now, I think it's a brilliant film. Mm. And I think I just expected different things from it when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't like the remake. I thought it was no. dreadful. No, most... I, didn't, I didn't think much to the remake. I, I mean, I watched, I watched it without knowing anything about it and mm. being totally unprepared for it. But the thing that always struck it, it's kind of stuck in my mind, apart from the, the irony of it, the sort of nihilism of it, was, was the sound the sound was so rough, it just seemed so incredibly real to me uh, at the time, and I've never seen a sort of anything like it. But the thing is, these films really kind of opened up the eyes, our eyes, but they must have opened up the eyes of thousands of horror fans, which is one of the reasons why it was such an important thing, wasn't it, the, the double bill back in the 70s and 80s? Definitely. I mean, people like Mark Gatiss and um, I think Reese Shearsmith and, and various um, writers, producers, actors, screen queens, you know, all these different people who are, are either, you know, quite successful or incredibly successful in the horror industry now or just in the TV and film industries in general, often quote that, that it was the BBC Two horror double bills that kind of set them on the road or at least lighted some of the fires of their interest. Mm. And now look at them, you know. It, it, yeah. it compelled them to go on and go on and inspired them to the successes that they have now. I mean, if I hadn't seen them, you know, I wouldn't be writing for different horror magazines, putting on my own, you know, 
um, film screenings, horror festivals, meeting all these iconic um, industry figures and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's brilliant. It's a, great, a dream come true. But I might not have ever done this if I hadn't been inspired in the first place. Mm. And again, I think it's important to emphasise for maybe some of the younger listeners is that the, this is kind of before the days of the VCR. So really, this was the only way that uh, a lot of people could actually watch horror movies was kind of on late night TV. Oh, yeah. If you missed it, then, well, tough, really. That you know, you'd hope that it might come round again, but you'd always try your hardest to stay awake and stay up and not yeah. miss it. Yeah. I mean, I used to sneak downstairs in the middle of the night, in the middle of the week, when ITV used to show stuff, sort of 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night, had school the next day, and I'd be sneaking down the stairs hoping I wouldn't get caught, and I'd have the TV on really low and the volume really low. I never got caught. <laughs> I used to sneak out of the house and go to late night double bills at my local cinema as well when I was about 13. Um, and they used to show... About 11 o'clock at night, they would start on a Saturday night, and I'd be sneaking home at, I don't know, two or three <laughs> on Sunday morning. And I would have been killed, <laughs> literally, mm. by my dad. But it was worth it. If you think you're not afraid of the dark, <laughs> if you think you have a strong stomach, if you feel nothing can shock you. If you say you don't scare easily. If you believe you've seen everything. You haven't seen David Cronenberg's Shivers and George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Being horrified is just the beginning. I'm surprised that you actually managed to get to get out without being detected. That must. Oh, how I did was you? Very, very sneaky. How did you do it? Through the window or? No, not at all. Um, I mean, the cinema was only about ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes walk from the house. Mm. My parents used to go to bed so early. <laughs> they used to go to bed at nine o'clock, yeah. even on Saturday night, which was great for me because I would just have the TV to mm. myself anyway. Um, so by the time it came to sneaking out time, you know, I'd just make sure everything was turned off, the lights were off, and I, I could become as silent as, as a ghost, I guess. Yeah. So they just they went to bed assuming that you were downstairs watching TV and would just... Oh, yeah, and I'd make <laughs> bed to look just in case, you know, just in case they popped in to look as if there was someone in there. Who <laughs> made your bed up? Like, yeah, like all a, the cliches. Like um, Escape from Alcatraz, where they... That's <laughs> it. And I just about the front door, and the gate used to creak, but if you lifted it up, it didn't, and you got to know all the, yeah. you know, all the little tricks of the trade. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> in fact, the first film out of the double bill was Shivers, which is, right. uh, you know, really intense, very yeah. modern, it felt at the time, film because um, this was in the early 80s mm. and I'd read all about it the usual thing and I just thought it was fantastic and really really scary uh, the cinema was packed it was one of the first times I'd ever attempted to do something like this at our local one screen cinema Yeah, uh, it was absolutely packed full of drunks and you know people in a small town with nowhere else to go yeah. where was this? it was in Bletchley right, which okay. was part of Milton Keynes yeah um, and 
then when they showed Night of the Living Dead, it was weird because obviously it was black and white. The people there, they didn't know what it was. They'd never heard of it. Um, the music sounded really ridiculous and old-fashioned and cronky, and, and the audience was just, like, laughing mm. to start with. But as the film went on, the audience went silent. Yeah. And then when it got to the bits, because it's quite documentary-like, when it got to the bits where they found one of the dead bodies half-eaten and then the, the zombies were obviously attacking people and there was sh- it was quite graphic. Yeah. There were actually people, like, screaming, girls at the back of the cinema, people leaving. They just walked out because they felt it was really full-on. Yeah, wow. So it's great for an old film, even then, to have an impact like that. Yeah. And Double Bills went on there for years. Mm. So, you know, one of the reasons why perhaps the Double Bill came out in the cinema in the sort of 1980s, and I remember them beginning to do this in local cinemas, is partly probably because of the success of the double bill on TV. I think you're right, actually. That hadn't occurred to me before, but I'm sure that is exactly it. Mm. Uh, And it also harks back, I guess, to the way films were screened on cinemas years ago as well. Yeah. You know, there's that that whole thing. And and I think a lot of the small cinemas were, were struggling and they were all looking for ways to kind of attract people in and make a bit of money. Then multiplexes opened up. Most of the little cinemas unfortunately shut down, and now we have the homogenized rubbish that we have today, just Hollywood crap, wall to wall, hideous multiplexes <laughs> full of teenagers on their phones. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that that does happen to be the case a lot of the time. Anyway, you were talking about some of the some of the uh, the people that you got involved in the campaign. Can you, mm-hmm. t- uh, including some of the, the great British scream queens as well? Yes, tell, indeed. Us, tell us a bit about that. Um, well, I, I guess I just thought it was um, important to get some of the people who were involved in the original films, you know, try and um, get in touch with them or their management, et cetera, et cetera, and, and sort of tell them what we're up to and just drop them an email, really, uh, in the beginning and just sort of say, do you support the campaign? This is what it's about. And various people said yes. Um, Caroline Monroe said yes a long time ago, but mm. since then I've met her loads of times and, and she's just lovely anyway. She's always really supportive of, of stuff. Um, and who else was there? I mean, recently um, I've met and worked with Francois Pascal. Is oh, yeah. Uh-huh. more known for... TV sitcoms like Mind Your Language and stuff like that. But she actually made three classic horror films, including one with Jean Roland, which is having a huge kind of cult renaissance in the States at the moment on Mm -hmm. Blu-ray. Is it The Iron Glove? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, or is it The Iron Rose? I think that might be it. Uh, And she's obviously said straight away, yeah, you know, I support the campaign. And then recently I was lucky enough to meet... um, and work with Barbara Shelley, mm-hmm. who was, you know, keen to to show some support, yeah. and Linda Hayden from Blood on mm-hmm. Satan's Claw. Mm-hmm. You know, when you meet these people and you can talk to them in person, it's a lot easier. Um, and they're always very enthusiastic because, of course, the more interest there is in these old films, you know, the more interest there, there is in their careers. And a lot of them raise money for charity and stuff like that when they do their signing sessions so to attract more people along it's making more money for them or for their charities so 
you know, it's, it's great. There's a lot of um, cooperation and support from different people. But also some of the more modern screen queens, um, Eileen Daly, uh-huh. famous for razor blade smile more yeah. than anything, but she's actually played more vampires in films than any other actress. <laughs> Lots of low-budget films that she's done. Um, she was a supporter right from the get-go. She just turned up at some of the screenings with her friends, bought a ticket, came, sat down, watched the movies. She's just been brilliant. And, of course, Emily Booth, who works, she's the face of the horror channel. Yeah. But at the beginning, she agreed to be the face of the classic horror campaign, just to sort of add her name to it, because she's, like, famous amongst the sort of younger horror crowd. Yeah. And she grew up watching Hammer films and some of the old double bills and stuff herself. That's great. And so, so you've been talking about the Roxy. You're still there? Yes, yes. Um, we've been talking about the Roxy, and so we've been showing, you've been showing some double bills there. Um, mm. I noticed the last one you had there was... Uh, the classic Doctor X and Theatre of Blood. So how did how did that go down? Very very well indeed. Um, the interesting thing is, we thought the selling point would be more Theatre of Blood, mm. um, and it's funny that that's had that's having a lot of showings at the moment, but also a lot of uh, because there's a, a good print, an actual film print that we broadcast from DVDs and Blu-rays. There's a, a print um, going around some of the the cinemas at the moment, lots of screenings happening. So a lot of people, are, I think there was one at the BFI, but it was Dr. X that people commented on. Mm. And they were, they were very surprised at how much they enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's something I found with a lot of the old thirties films that I've shown at the Roxy and at the Frightened Brighton festival last year. And a lot of people have said, Do you know, we just didn't, we didn't think we'd like the really old films so much but we actually liked it more. So a lot of people just love them. Mm. There's something remarkably fresh about them. It's almost as though fashion has come back round again with some of those films. Well, yeah, and they're also, I mean, they're an unusual experience, I think, because Mm. a lot of them are so theatrical. Yeah. Um, But also, with Dr X, it was made before the sort of motion picture production code came in. So it was a little bit more... um, the subject matter was more intense mm. than yeah. we dealt with in some of the later horror films. That's right. Surprisingly sadistic, aren't they, some of the early 1930 films compared to... But the next, yeah. we're showing another 30s one in um, on Sunday, April the 7th, so it's coming up very soon, right. showing another pre-code film, which is Murders in the Zoo, Yeah. which until I did a bit of research I hadn't heard of. Mm. You know, it's one that came to my attention. I thought, this could be interesting. And there's a horrible scene where there's a guy with his mouth being sewn up. Yeah. And you see his mouth is all sewn up. Really graphic stuff. Right. That's 1933, um, isn't it? It is. Yeah, so it's just yeah. cusp, really, of mm. the cut. Yeah. And, and we're filling that with um, a 70s cult, Day of the Animals. Yeah, William Girdler. Mm. The director of Grizzly. <laughs> And was it the Manitou, I think? The Manitou well. and uh, Abby, I think, the Black That's Exorcist right. rip-off. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was great. I, was, I really loved his, his films. They totally appeal, appealed to my sensibilities. Um, mm. And Day of the Animals is fun because Leslie Nielsen um, from Airplane is yeah. in, it, in one of his villainous roles. One of his straight roles, yeah. <laughs> he's good, though. He is. He's really horrible in it. He's a nasty character. There's one I haven't seen, uh, but although I think Girdler's really fascinating 
guy, isn't he? Uh, he died very young, didn't he? But he made he lo- loads of films before he went. Yeah, it's a, such a shame that he died when he did because everything he made was interesting. Mm. You know, he, he was totally... Um, he was just on that edge of the whole exploitation yeah. genre, but, but also they were accessible. You know, he knew he had his finger on the pulse, I guess. Yeah. Everything he did, some of it, I guess, could be a rip-off of other things. I mean, Grizzly was, was Jaws, <laughs> yeah. but with a bear. yeah. And the Manitou had elements of The Exorcist. And a bit of Rosemary's Baby and I th- even a bit of Star Wars, I think. There's, a, there's yeah. that, that weird ending scene where it almost turns into a sort of outer space That's it. thing. Yeah. Now he'd throw everything into yeah. the mix, really, but it appealed. It appealed to the sort of driving audience, I guess. Yeah, and black exploitation as well. I think he did a lot of sort of gangster movies early on. Mm. And that's another, yeah, another good exploitation genre. Abby, Abby um, was a disappointment when I finally got to see it because it was something I'd heard about, read about, ever, again, ever since I was a kid. You know, I was really into the exploitation at an early age. Mm. Um, had a vociferous appetite for anything horror, sci-fi or weird, I guess. Um, but when I finally saw it, it's like, oh, you know, it is really quite ropey, but it's very funny. It's, it's an enjoyable experience. The only, the only exorcism film that has an exorcism that takes place in a disco yeah <laughs> i hear there's a new there's a new film isn't there is it just the disco exorcist or something oh, is it? Right. which is um yes yeah, so i'm not sure whether the exorcism takes place in a disco so we might need to look that one up wow so somebody's ripping off abby that's, yeah that's yeah. ironic um, amongst other things i think it's um a cross between abby saturday night fever and jaws apparently if i've got that right right that's one to see Mm. <laughs> so, so what, 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 what have you got coming up then at the Roxy? Um, okay, so yeah, Sunday the seventh uh, of April, Murders in the Zoo and yeah. Day of the Animals. Uh-huh. So that's a double creature feature. Um, but we're also experimenting with some classic sci-fi as well. So we've got some dates coming up. Um, sorry, I've got my list here, so I'm just having a look. Ah, okay, so May, we haven't got the date confirmed, but we were hoping to do a Peter Cushing double bill. Oh, right, great, because it's his centenary, isn't it? That's right. So, so that, That's good, yeah. Yeah, and people have requested it as well. You know, it's not, it wasn't just off our own backs. It was like a lot of people said, well, you are going to do something, aren't you, this year? And it's like, oh, gosh, of course, we should, we must. So mm. we're still planning that one. Um, after that... On Saturday, the 1st of June, we've got the Ghoulish Grave Robbers double bill. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're actually showing The Flesh and the Fiends, which does have Peter Cushing yeah. in it, I think, um, alongside Burke and Hair, sort of early 70s um, horror, which doesn't usually get a lot of airtime. Mm. Um, quite a fascinating, odd little film. But one of the reasons for that is because it stars... Um, well, Francoise Pascal. So she's going to come along um, and do a signing session, maybe have a chat on the stage. She'll certainly happily meet the fans. Yeah. And she's got an autobiography out, yeah. which is really fascinating. She's lived an amazingly interesting life. Mm. So she'll be signing copies of that. So that'll be quite nice to have a guest with us. Um, and then Sunday, the 16th of June, we're doing, we're putting it under the classic sci fi umbrella, but it's, it's a Ray Harryhausen double. So we're doing Earth versus the Flying Saucers alongside First Men in the Moon. 
Oh, wow. Well, that sounds we thought like that would be interesting. And they're yeah. both you know, it's definitely sci-fi. Yeah. And we're hoping to have a guest along, depending. I won't I'm not go into anything at the moment, but, but we're hoping to. And that's on the 16th of June. Uh, and then after that, we've got uh, two double bills in July. Again, not confirmed the dates yet or the films. But one will be a sci-fi and one will be a classic horror. Mm. So there's loads of stuff coming up. Absolutely loads. That's fantastic. And that's at the Roxy. And for anyone who doesn't know where that is, that's in London, isn't it? South London. <clears throat> it is. It's um, You can either... We, I always travel up on overland train, so we just get off at London Bridge. It's, it's right near London Bridge. Yeah. It's on the Borough High Street. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look it up online anyway, the Roxy Bar and Screen. Yeah. It has a great reputation because they they show movies all the time of yeah. various descriptions, lots of cult films. Um, there's a it's film a, club yeah. called Film Bar 70, and they show a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a nice, really nice venue. It's cosy. Uh, mm. Nice seats, you know, comfortable sort of settees and stuff like that. Good screen. That's right. You can have your lunch and, and a drink. You can sit there. You know, you've got tables. It's kind of like laid out cabaret style, I guess. Yeah. So you can just sit back, eat your meal, chill out, and enjoy the show. Really. Yeah. It's, yeah. Great. Great little venue. So tell us a bit about Fright and Brighton then. Ah. Because <laughs> okay, this is something yeah. we've talked about in the past. I've been I've been along and I had a, th- a thoroughly good time. Uh, and since then, you've sort of developed it a little bit more. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, Frighton Brighton, because I live in Brighton, the idea was um, that there's lots of sort of horror film festivals and different things that go on in, in cities all around the UK, but there wasn't really anything in Brighton. Because I used to work with um, Scare Sarah. She used to be sort of like a co-host of the Horror Double Bills and, and also with Fright and Brighton. And she lives down here as well. And we kind of put our heads together and thought, we both love horror. Why is there not a horror film festival in Brighton? So let's just see what we can come up with. So the name Fright and Brighton was born um, in a pub. Um, we thought it was a great name. Uh, and we just decided to try and find a location. And we started playing around with different different things. We, we would show a few films. We wouldn't necessarily just stick to the sort of pre-1980s stuff. We showed some stuff from the sort of 80s and 90s as well. Um, and we also had a, a macabre market. So it was like a, almost like a craft fair for horror fans, which would have loads of like local... Uh, local stalls, um, ghost story readings, uh, magazines and, and book stalls, lots of um, sort of gothic jewellery and art, that kind of thing. So we'd have lots of stuff going on. It's all in, in a pub called The Rock Inn. Mm. So it's a three, three floors, basically, of, of horror all day. But the pub was so far out from the main part of town that it just didn't kind of get any footfall. It was a bit far out. We didn't get the numbers that we wanted to mm. make it a success. So we moved to the Comedia, mm. which is um, Brighton's sort of most famous and best live entertainment venue. And it's right in the heart of the North Lanes, which is the cultural centre of Brighton. Um, and they sort of backed us all the way. We did an all-day classic horror film festival. Um, we got Emily Booth in to, to co-host... Um, because she was a particular draw for the younger crowd because they all watched her on the Horror Channel, seen her in loads of recent movies. Um, 
so she was like perfect as a guest star, really, to cross that boundary between old and new, old films and new films. And it was a huge success. I mean, it sold out. Um, we had people actually turning up on the day, still trying to get tickets and being turned away by the comedia. It was just great. The atmosphere was great. We showed five films and did like a, I don't know, a history of horror kind of thing. We did a film from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, and, we, and again, we had an audience where the age range was, I guess, late teens, early 20s, right through to a lot older. And everyone got on, everyone enjoyed themselves. Um, so that was great. And that was last year in the summer, in August. But this year, because the Comedia, everything sort of changed hands at the Comedia, because we were going to do it there again. But... Um, the whole upstairs of the comedian now is, is two cinema screens. They've kind of changed, been bought out by um, Picture House, mm. you know, the, the sort of art movie cinema chain. Yeah. And they've kind of bought that part of the comedia um, and they've turned it into two lovely uh, cinema screens. But, um, but the downstairs area, they're not allowed to show films anymore. And, and so I'm kind of thinking... Not sure what to do with Fright and Brighton this year. We still want to do something, but it's all up in the air. It's all sort of in the planning stages and in talks with, you know, do we go and see if we can put something on upstairs at the Comedia or do we look for other venues? I'd quite like to, to have a place where we can bring back the macabre market. Yeah. Because I thought that kind of added a, mm. a different quality to it. You were at one of those ones, weren't you? I was, and what was so nice was that, um, you know, you had some publishers there, you had people, um, as you say, selling their wares, and it just just turned the whole event into something a little bit more than just a screening and so on. Mm. i tell you what it reminded me of after the fact, because um, last year I went to the Bram Stoker Film Festival up in Whitby. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, that was awesome i mean it's four days of loads of films but they also had a market there every day not as good as ours i would actually say <laughs> but it was you know it's brilliant idea they had a whole floor with this with this sort of goth market yeah um they had plays and performance art and all kinds of manner of things and it had a real family yeah. feel they've got and a great they've got a great venue like brighton only you know 10 times bigger mm. it was brilliant those guys they were absolutely superb job if if any of you ever get the chance go to the bram stoker international film festival it's every october in whitby and whitby's the most amazing town in the uk it's beautiful and gothic and fantastic mm. it's highly recommended and and as you say they've got a great venue haven't they in the pavilion oh, it's awesome right but, next to the sea and it just lends itself to those events yeah, so, it's, it's yeah. perfect, you know. It's almost like, wow, if I could have that venue and plop it in the heart of Brighton and, yeah. and you know, and just go to town on it, really. I think they've, they've really got, they've done a good thing, good job. Uh, and I'd like to do something similar with Fright and Brighton down here. On a smaller scale, but, but still the same concept. Hmm. Well, you know, keep us posted at Starburst and we'll certainly do a our bit to publicise anything that's going on that way. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Really, really appreciate and, it. And, you know, any anyone out there who is now convinced uh, to, to go and um, 
to go and vote both at the rondos for Richard's website. And, and, you know, I urge you to go and do that because, it, again, it's great publicity for, um, for the campaign. And, and uh, publicity for this campaign is publicity for sort of horror in general as well, I think. That's one of the, the great things about it. And if they want to go online again, Richard, to, to, to um, sign the petition, can you just mm. tell us again what, where they have to go? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, they can just go to the Classic Horror Campaign dot com so it's www.classichorrorcampaign.com because that's our website and you'll see the links on there um but you can also go straight to the petition site so that's ipetitions all one word dot com forward slash petition forward slash bring classic horror films back to the bbc um to be fair if you google bbc horror double bill petition it tends to come up anyway. It's really easy to find stuff online. Um, yeah, and also I'd just like to point out just um, that it's not only the Classic Horror Campaign website that's been nominated for Rondo, but also my own blog, Cyber Schizoid blog, has been nominated for the second year running as well. So I'm just chuffed a bit that people have actually bothered to nominate me. It's such an honour. So, um, yeah, thanks. And well, I definitely, you know, urge people to go and visit Cyber Schizoid as well, because as we were saying earlier, um, one of the the wonderful wonderful things about it is that Richard really manages to bring the horror community together on his on his website and all of the social networking stuff that that you do. Thanks. I'm always, you know, happy to promote anything that's that's good. anything that looks interesting it's just it's fun as well you know to promote other people's work i mean that's what it's all about and especially these days i'm trying to have a big focus on british horror uh every month now in august is british horror month so the classic horror campaign always focuses on british old british horror films um uh so does the sky schizoid blog will always focus on british horror for that month it's just a kind of a theme that runs through. Um, and now also working for, for British horror magazines um, that deal with a lot of new films, it is good to deal with all the, all the new stuff coming up. So any British horror filmmakers out there, get in touch. Friday Night Frights. Well, that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights. But don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay Stay scared. scared.